Welcome to VSI, Variation Selection Inheritance, a podcast production of the National Science Foundation's Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution in Action. I'm Randall Hayes. I launched this podcast last spring at the North Carolina Academy of Sciences meeting. At that meeting was a poster session where I played meet and greet with students from all over the state. One of those students was a kid who reminded me a little bit of my nephew, Matt, only more articulate and who was doing evolution experiments on plants. I visited his field site at the A&T farm to see those experiments, which were on a weed that's probably growing in your yard right now, and which has tiny little composite flowers, barely visible to the naked eye. He could tell that they were darker or lighter, but I was just being polite when I said that I could. I really couldn't. When Lauren edited this interview, she cut all that plant stuff because she thought it was boring. She kept our entire discussion of grad school, though. And to be honest, those were my favorite parts as well. I am a neuro guy, after all, and plants don't really have neurons. Sorry to confirm the stereotype, Freddie. So, in honor of the nationwide campus release of the Ph.D. comics movie, two weeks away in Chapel Hill, here is that conversation. You're a graduate student. Yes. Yep. Just finished my first year. One of the things that I like about being like a podcast uh-huh. and not, you know, an NPR radio show is that I get to talk to people who are sort of at different places in their careers. Right. So I'm talking to Freddie Herrera. Yes. Who is at UNCG doing what exactly? Trying to get my master's. <laughs> master's in what? Biology. With, well, I really work with Plantago, which hopefully you've seen it, or you probably have it all over campus, a little plant. Okay, so I remember, what I remember from uh, North Carolina Academy of Sciences meeting Uh was your poster where you were looking at where plants grow and what the features of plants under different environmental conditions are. Right, exactly. So really... What I'm, focus- what I'm really focusing on is plasticity. And Plantago has floral reflectance plasticity. So depending on what temperature the flowers are made on, produced, they change colors. If you live in a place where it's hot, you should be less dark colored right. so that you're reflecting sunlight. Right, exactly. And then if you live in a place that's cold, you should be darkly colored so that any little bit of sunlight that you get warms you up. Yeah. Right, and so there's there's animal models of that too, right? Where you've right, got exactly. Himalayan whole, rabbits and stuff. Right, and you know, a lot of people have done like the stuff with like lizards. A lot of the st- a lot of the stuff that's done that has been done on like plasticity or stuff like this has been like on animal stuff, you know, ectoderms really. Because they're easier to study, you know. The lizard when it's hot it's under a rock when it's cold, it comes out because it needs to heat itself up, right? What they haven't really done and what really hasn't been seen is stuff in plants, which kind of makes, I think, what I do kind of cool, you know? Well, right, like, like why the plants don't get the credit. <laughs> right, exactly. People yeah. assume plants are stupid. Right, people assume, yeah. Well, I, more than, I just don't think, but the, the problem with this, and if you take any plant course, at the beginning it's always like trying to learn a whole new language because it's like, in a human or in an animal, we call this an arm, and that's an arm. But in a plant, it's leaves and, you know, stalks, this, that, even 
uh, parts of a plant, the flowering parts are different. So I think what plants don't get the credit because it's kind of like learning a whole new language, you know. Well, so, and it, was that true for you or did you grow up, like I grew up on a farm, oh, but so. we still didn't learn like the na- the scientific names of things. We just, you know, called it an acorn. Right, okay. Or a tree. True. So I took my, because I was a biology undergrad, right, and then I think my junior year, yeah, first semester of my junior year, I took a botany course, because I've always liked being outside, you know. So it was it was more of a nature thing than... Right, than a plant thing. Than a plant thing. Yeah, I, I, I just like being outside. I never, I never imagined myself, like, going to college, getting a degree, and then sitting in a cubicle, or putting on a suit. You know, yeah. Well, that was, I mean, I, I sort of did the same thing. I sort of assumed when I was an undergraduate that uh-huh. if I wasn't going to go to medical school, that I would work as like a field biologist outside Sorry. for the wildlife service or someone like that. Right. Is that sort of this? Right. So what I really, what I hope to do is like maybe work for a nature conservancy after this. Like just, I like being outside. I like, still like offices. <laughs> so they kind of made sense to be like, so sort of ecologist. And then after I took this botany course, and I really thought, man, plants are cool. People don't realize it, but they do some really cool stuff. You know, from like Venus flytraps to, I'm blanking on the name, but like, you know, the ones that kind of smell like a dead carcass, you know? Well, the carrion flowers. Right, you know, stuff like that. So there's such a diversity that are cool that I don't think you can see like in animals, you know. Animals are kind of animals, you know, pretty straightforward. But plants, there's so much... At least in the sexual reproduction of organs, it's so cool, you know. You can be a male sterile or hermaphrodite, all this, and it kind of all makes sense. So I always thought, after that botany course, I was like, I got to do something with plants. And that's, that's funny because that's such a, the opposite reaction that you get from a lot of people who say plants are stupid and boring because they don't have a nervous system and they don't move around. Right. But there's tons of other, it just depends on sort of how you look at it, right? Yeah, no, no, I, I think so. Like, uh, I remember, so I went into this class and I went with a good friend of mine, you know, and he likes being outside too, but now he wants to go to med school, as things turn out. And after the first class, I remember, man, this is such cool stuff, man. This is awesome. And he was like, dude, I got to change out of here. It's like, I can't stand it. And all it took was one, you know, and we were both biologists, we both liked being outside, and we both got, like, different reactions from the same lecture, the same stuff. I thought it was sweet, he thought it was the most boring thing on earth. Wow, so you lucked out in that sense that you've now got something to work on that you're excited about. Yeah, exactly, yeah, and honestly, I will say this, after finishing my first year, it's not all fun and games, you know. You do have to read a lot of papers, and it's a lot of work, and I think that if I really didn't, like, enjoy it, I don't think I really would stick it out. Like, if I really didn't like plants, mm-hmm. man, this is not something I really would want to do, you know? So how many hours a week do you spend, you think, in the library reading stuff that is, you know, not written to be fun? Right. That's dense, boring stuff, at least in the way it's written. Right. I think, I, I think my advisor would like me to say that. I should state that I should be spending more time, but I think I spend at least, I don't know, 10, 15 hours. Now less, now that, you know, we're in the middle of the summer, and i got to check out the projects. So I have one here in Greensboro, and I have one in Virginia. So in between having to check them both weekly, here in like the past month, I think I've, that has gone down to maybe two or three hours a week. 
Because you're not trying. Because you're actively working. Right. Because I'm actively working. You know, like after we finish with this, I gotta run out to the plots out at AMT on McConnell Road, check out my plants there, collect. I gotta, I gotta go out there. It'll probably take me today and tomorrow, like, to really finish. You know, doing a good check of the site, and then I gotta drive up to Virginia Thursday, Friday, and do the same thing over there. And by the time I come back, I'm like, man, it's Saturday. I'm tired. I'll take Saturday off. Sunday, I'll try to read. You know, try to write a little bit more. Monday, do the same, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Greensboro, Thursday, Friday, you know, Virginia. And so I should be doing a lot more reading than that, but I think, yeah, now it's gone down to three, four hours of, like, solid, good, good, like, I'm really reading this, and I'm really understanding this, and I'm, like, this is really making sense, not the just kind of skimming through, you know. What's your project here in Greensboro about? So, and what's the difference between the two field sites? Like, why do you have two? So the difference between it, the difference is, it's hot here in Greensboro, right? And it's hot most of the season, right? One in which I planted these plants out here in March, right? When it was cool, the season hadn't even really picked up yet, right? Nothing was flowering, nothing was really doing its business. So I set up, a, I set up plots with all these plantagos that I already know the plasticity, right, the floral reflectance, whether this is really plastic or whether this is not plastic. And I set up all, and I set up these three plots here. Then I went to the mountains in Virginia, Mountain Lake, I don't know if you've heard, it's a biological station. Okay. Um, so we, they gave us a little piece of land there where we could set up these projects. So as you go up the mountain, yeah, it gets colder. So it experiences a lot colder temperatures than here in Greensboro throughout the whole season. So I set up exactly the same projects over there with exactly the same plants. Okay, so in other words, you've got it, you've got this, this color trait, mm -hmm. and you're sort of trying to back it out to see how it got there. Exactly, so I'm really trying to explain the big picture, the evolution of this floral reflectance plasticity. But were you thinking about that sort of politically charged kind of angle when you first started your graduate career, or did you just go, oh, plants, cool? Uh, I just went, oh, plants, cool. And then <laughs> I really did. I was like, well, first I was like, man, this is going to be different than an undergrad degree, right? Which is I just take classes. I used to work for like, uh, a population community lab. And I used to like help them out, like, counting frogs or we would go frog hunting. And I thought that was cool. But as a graduate student, but as not being a graduate student, I didn't have to worry about having to really write, read papers or really try to understand the, you know, the theory behind all the stuff they were doing. I just gave a hand, got to play with frogs, thought it was pretty cool. Then once I actually got accepted and I started to come here, and then it was like, after the, oh, plant's cool, there's this whole, like, you have to read all this background, you have to try to understand the theory, all of this, what you're really doing, what's important, what's not important, you know. And I didn't, I didn't even think about the political aspects or any of that. I was just like, plants are cool. Let me try to learn all that I have to learn so that, you know, kind of seem like I know what I'm talking about. What does a plant biologist do for a conservation organization? Like, so I, we have a couple of really pretty good ones here in town that I don't know if you have been involved with at all. Or no, not. no, I haven't. I work mostly with the Audubon Society. Okay. Which people think is only birds. Right. But it's actually wild space and wildlife in general. Okay. And our local chapter of that is 
particularly likes dealing with beginners. Okay. And the other one, which maybe is even more relevant to your interests, is the Piedmont Land Conservancy, where they buy land right, and, and then don't develop it. Right. Or only allows you know they have what they call easements, where you're you're only allowed certain types of development. Okay. You sell the development rights, or the the conservancy holds the development rights. So if it's farmland, and they pick that particular path of development, it has to stay farmland. I see. I see. Okay. And forest. Right. Basically, not putting up a Walmart in the middle. of Right, but there's certain kinds of development that you can do on it. Okay. Or you can, where it's a forest and you can log it, but you can't cut, you can't clear cut it and right. put a Walmart on it. I see. Okay. So those, so there's a couple of different organizations around that that are working on those kinds of things, but that's the disconnect that you often see, in, like in a graduate school kind of. How do I do my work as fast as possible right. and then get out and go find a job? Right. Because it sounds like you spend sort of all your time, the, the schedule you laid out didn't leave a whole lot of time for thinking about other issues. Right, and it, and it doesn't. And I think, and what I realized, Cassie, as an undergrad, you start in the way that, well, maybe maybe this is just my thinking, but, you know, choose a, choose a major, right? And then... Choose, I chose biology. Then I'm like, I like nature. So I become an ecologist. I work with a lab to see if I even like this stuff. And I do. You know, I really like plants. I go to graduate school. And I think if you keep following that track, you get in the mindset of you're doing this to basically stay in that scholastic track. You know, like from here. People who never want to leave college. Exactly. And I was one of those. And the more, and after this first year, I've realized, you know, Maybe this is not really what I like, you know. Maybe going and getting my PhD after this is not what I want to do. And then maybe getting a postdoc and then maybe getting a teaching position, like, at a small, big school. Regardless, it's not really what I want to do because... But I feel like that's really what the system pushes you towards, you know. It definitely is what the system pushes you towards. And it's, it's particularly hard for people who followed that track... To jump out, I think. Or to even train someone to jump out because they don't know how to do that. Right. And, and I think I'm particularly lucky in this aspect with my PI because she did, she did her master's and before she did her PhD, she did like the Peace course. So she got out for a little bit. You know, and she'll mention that. From oh, and I, I recommend people do that sort of thing all the time. Nobody ever listens to me. <laughs> right, you know, and, 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 I think, and I think that's cool. And I guess she's able to see that. But, you know, I, we'll sit down with like, there's like 12 graduate students, right? And we'll go out to, you know, have a beer after a long week, you know, Friday night or whatnot. Not all from your lab. No, not all from my lab. Yeah, from like the whole, the whole department, right? All of us. We'll go out and we'll have a drink. And here at the end of the first year, all of the... the now soon to be second year, a lot of them have already started to mention graduate, you know, PhD programs and stuff like that. And I, and it's like, it started with just one or two, three or four, and now by the end of the year, it's like myself and like two other ones are like, no, I think I think I want to get out. I don't know if I want to do a PhD, but it's like, out of the twelve of us, you know, just to say a number, ten of us look like are gonna go on and get their PhD, and then they'll do. Now is that partly because of the economic situation? 
that they're like just okay well I'll just stay in school because I've got a stipend <laughs> I don't know well they I think they, they really like it but I like I said I think the system just keeps pushing you towards that and it really doesn't give you because see I hadn't even heard about these nature conservancy I I just always thought nature conservancy would be a cool way for me to like get out you know see something different you know see some different biology because I've lived in North Carolina basically all my life oh really where are you from uh, I came to the States when I was 12. Then I lived a year up in New York, and then my folks moved to Charlotte. Okay. So where in New York? Uh, Queens. Oh, New York City. New York City. Yeah. Yeah, the city. Uh, so then they moved down North Carolina, Charlotte. Then I did the whole public school system, went to school out on the East Coast, uh, ECU. Then I came back here towards Piedmont. But, so the biology of the, of the Carolinas, I got to map down, you know. So... Yeah, I kind of want to get out, maybe a different state, out west, different biology, different... Uh, I was just out in Montana. Were you really? Oh, that must have been cool. It was gorgeous. By Yellowstone or by... Uh, further north than Yellowstone, but okay. so like just across across the Idaho border. Okay. From, from Coeur d'Alene and that area. Camping? Uh, well, I wasn't camping. We were... My, my in-laws have a sort of compound uh, okay. up... <laughs> about 5,000 feet, okay. uh, maybe 20 miles from the Idaho border I in this see. little place called Thompson Falls. There's like a hydroelectric kind of plant there, okay. but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous area. I saw a bald eagle No way. in town. I'm walking across what? the, it's, it's a little town, and I'm walking across the bridge that goes over the river to the hydroelectric plant, uh-huh. and there's a friggin' bald eagle landing in a tree. Wow. And I'm like, not yeah. even out of town. That's great. Yeah, and see, so you would never see that over here. I saw two osprey nests on the same walk. Wow. And they fished the river. Someone up and dropped a dead fish on the river. Wow. My in-laws have, uh, regularly have deer and elk just grazing outside their fence. That's and, cool. And black bears. Yeah, seeing stuff like, you know, and like I said, so I think that's my motivation for wanting to like finish this degree and then kind of get out, maybe go out west. I even thought about like other countries or something to see some different biology. Because I think after a while, like, and I'm sure that people that live in Montana and see bald eagles all the time, you know, are like, yeah, that's a bald eagle. But for people that are like somewhere else, you're like, man, that's cool. You don't get to see that every day. You know? Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> and I'm not normally like the picture taking kind of you know, kind of kind of naturalist. Uh-huh. doing slideshows and stuff like that, but it was still very neat. Right, yeah, of course, because, I mean, who says that they can see a bald eagle? Yeah, so we've got, um, so here in town, I mean, the, the Audubon Society sort of runs for the city several natural areas yes. where they do, you know, they deal with invasive species kind of questions. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, a, it's an international organization. Right. So if you're interested in groups that have that kind of reach, the, the land conservancy ones, unless you're dealing with one of the big ones, like the nature conservancy, right. that does the same thing in other countries. Mm-hmm. Piedmont Land Conservancy really is only North Carolina, right. and really Piedmont. only this local area of North Carolina. But Audubon has, is basically the worldwide Cool. And they do, where a plant biologist would deal with someone like that is in the area of, okay, well, 
they think a lot about wildlife, but obviously they, they've got to have environments to live in. Right. And so they do a lot of, they do plant work, particularly endangered plant kinds of things. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, I mean, people keep pushing, you know, invasives and an endangered species, and it's this whole, it's this, it's, I mean, it brings up a whole other issue of topics, like what's endangered, all this. And, you know. Well, and a lot of it is driven sort of by the politics of it right. that people end up just using as a shorthand. Right. Where invasives are not the thing that they care about the most. Right, it, they what they care about is, you know, keeping some piece of land right. the way it was. Yeah, you know, and and the way now you got you got to have like what they call like you know a poster for something, you know, and it, yeah, it either pick a plant or an animal, and most of the time, an animal is cooler because they move <laughs> rather than you know. Although all of the carnivorous plant species, like you were talking about, pretty much every one of those right. is endangered now. Because yeah. of all the because people don't like bogs, right? right and, like yeah, drain stuff. Right, and oh well, I mean the farmland, you know, and and, and see that's and that's one of the things. See, and I remember, I think the very first lecture that I had in that botany course was about critters. And I don't think people realize that they're only native to basically this kind of like North Carolina, South Carolina, I think maybe a little bit of Georgia, and that's it. You don't see these things anywhere else in the world, you know, like. And people, I don't think, realize that, you know, like, you know, people can can say that they've seen, the, you know, the movie The Little Shop of Horrors, you know. Yeah. But they don't realize that if you're from this area, this is the only place you're ever going to see these things, you know, where they grow naturally. Outside of the greenhouses. Right, outside of the greenhouse, right. But, like, where they naturally occur, like, you can go out and you can go, like, you can, if you know where to look, you know. What's the other thing people don't realize is how tiny most of those things are. People see like the comic book, right? And they think that Venus flytraps are like these big plants. <laughs> right. Most they're of the little, time, they're tiny. they're tiny little things, right? I remember, I'm like, what are y'all looking at? And like, this is a pitcher plant, and I was like, whoa, I, I'm a biologist, you know? And I was expecting something greater or something bigger or flashier. And I was like, wow, okay, never mind, you know? And that's one of the things I think that that when people start to do scientific work. Mm-hmm. I think the way we sell scientific work on nature shows and stuff like that, it gives people an, an not realistic way of thinking about doing scientific work. Right. Right. You solve all your problems in an hour. Right. And, and I think well, and, and I think we kind of have to though. You know, like you got to go out there and give them with like, you can't really talk about like succession, you know, or stuff like that because sometimes that's even boring. People that you know, like biology, so you got to give them the big hitters, you know, the dinosaurs, right? Pitcher plants eating, and then if you were actually to show them one, it's this tiny little thing that's you know maybe six inches off the ground. They're like, oh, really? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> you know. As you say, you're thinking about getting out, going, doing other things. Is it just the idea of you want to be outside all the time? Or were you surprised at sort of the way work is structured and I think I think I always knew I would get out for a little bit, but I never thought that like I would know by the end of my first year that I definitely want definitely, like for sure. In order to get a PhD and all that. A lot of that stuff, the project that I have right now, it's been with a lot of help from my advisor, you know. A lot of me and her sitting down and her helping me a lot, you know, like really kind of walking me through this. Whereas like the PhD will basically be like, there's a desk, there's an office. You teach at these times, let me know your original idea. 
here in like, you know, by the end of the semester or something like that. And I feel in order for you to come up with that, you gotta have seen something. Like you gotta know something about the biology of a place, you know? Or like the biology of a system or a system that you're really interested in. So I think I would maybe eventually come back to, you know, the PhD and try to, you know, work for that. But I think without seeing biology, because, you know, at the most basic biologist, we observe stuff. That's, that's the fundamental thing about us. Without observing other stuff, how can you really, you know, really get a good dissertation or really sit down and think about something and write about something that's cool, you know? Well, I don't know, and the, and the traditions that I was in, a lot of times, I mean, your advisor just handed you a project and said, work on this. Right. I was a little unusual in that I, I sort of demanded to come up with some of my own stuff. But a lot of people are perfectly happy to say, there's a ready-to-go project? Yes, I'll do that. Get me out of here in four years. Right, right, yeah, and, and I mean... Uh, personally, I think it would be cooler if, like, you come up with your own thing. You know, because then some of the best advice I ever got from, like, my undergrad advisor was, like, if you, if you really want to do this, if you really want to be, like, eventually get to, like, let's say, teach at a university or something, you got to be able to think of questions on your own, you know? And if you've been handed stuff your whole life, how do you really, that original thinking, unless you've kind of tried it on your own, it's difficult, I think. There's a lot of competition right. for that small number of positions, positions right. and even once you get that position there's a lot of competition for funding right and then to keep it and then tenure and all that you know and it's it's hard you know and and I think the thing that I that I tell myself it's some of this stuff you have to work on something that's cool you know or something that because I mean the stuff that I'm working on I personally think it's pretty cool an interesting little twist on that conversation relates to the diversity article from Audubon magazine that I posted with episode 16. You may have picked up from Freddie's name or his very mild accent that he's Hispanic. His interests totally overlap with all those conservation organizations, but his social networks had no connection to them at all, so that information never reached him. The really ironic thing is, I had exactly the same problem 25 years ago as a white kid from a rural area with no tradition of conservation or activism. Yeah, I, I did a few hikes and cleanups with the campus chapter of the Sierra Club, partly as a feeble attempt to meet girls, but I couldn't find a way into the kind of work I wanted to do. The well-worn path for an undergraduate led through labs on campus. After two years of waiting tables and wrangling ten-year-olds for the Lexington Parks Department, a guy did offer me a summer job clearing trails in a state park in Tennessee, but that was it. And by that time, I'd already accepted an offer from a Ph.D. program in a laboratory setting in a medical school. And I was extremely happy to get that chance. And aside from a few chance meetings with a gifted photographer named Denny, who made the cover of National Geographic more than once with his wildlife photos, I was out of that world until I started teaching. Now, of course, with a steady stream of moldable young minds at my disposal, I could weasel my way into projects just about anywhere in the world. But I'm not 23 anymore. The romance of jet-setting is not what it once was. I want to be home with my family and my new dog. More than enough work to do right here. In fact, I spent yesterday planting trees at a school a mile from my house. 
the day before, shoveling compost in the pouring rain at the same school. I had students with me both days. When I wasn't jump-starting the truck, it was my job to introduce those students to one another, to the Zaytun's breakfast baklava from the farmer's market, and to the possibilities that await them out in the big wide world. The end. Swelling violin music. Next week, or actually later this week since the episode is so late, uh, I'll start my interview with Barbara Oakley, who wrote the books Evil Genes and Cold-Blooded Kindness. BSI is produced by me, Randall Hayes, at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, with editing help from Lauren Branch, and funding from the National Science Foundation. Thanks for listening.